there, I'm Dr. Asha, creator of Healthy Conversations, and welcome to Good Health for Busy People. Today, we have my good friend and business coach, Professor LaTanya White. Hang out with us for this two-part series, and you'll get three books to add to your reading list, or if you're like me, it's your listening list, to help you build wealth. You'll learn about the types of capital that you should be benefiting from right now, today. And you'll get a glimpse into Professor White's guide to becoming fearless. That's an acronym, y'all. As you pursue good financial health. Listen, this woman is so amazing. She is an entrepreneurship educator, a certified business analyst, and a PhD student, Hello Three Stripes, who is studying the racial wealth gap and entrepreneurial dynasties. Professor White helps first-generation Black entrepreneurs build business dynasties so their grandchildren's grandchildren won't have to worry about money. Welcome, Professor White. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Asha. Your energy is always extremely transferable. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you for Yay, I'm glad that you're here because in having these conversations about good health for busy people, something that can often cause stress unknowingly or anxiety unknowingly is our financial status. Mm -hmm. And we always feel like we're in a place where we're not in control of our financial status, whether it be because I was born into this concept of, of wealth or lack of. Mm -hmm. or whether it be because I got all these bills to pay, or whether it be because we just haven't been trained on how we should be communicating or relating to the money that we're earning, or we just feel like I'm overworked and underpaid. I mean, whatever reason it may be, oftentimes we don't have this solid relationship with what it looks like to have this good financial health. So I'm Mm -hmm. glad to have you on with us today. And I'm actually going to start off, because this is a good health for busy people, I'm going to start off with what does good health mean to you? To me, uh, good health, it's it's intentional. Mm. Um, some of the things that you help, me, you help hold me accountable to is, are you drinking enough water? Did you plan some time to eat and not a working lunch? And when I reflect on that, there's so much intentionality that has to go into that. Um, Just last night, I was looking at like breaking out my time and I'm looking at my notebook right here and I'm writing out the things. Okay, so I know I get 24 hours in a day. I know that I want to get seven hours of sleep. I have eight hours that I need to spend um, actively, you know, doing work and everything like that. I need to set aside an hour for prayer and devotion, two hours for working out and, um, you know, hygiene and all of that stuff. And I'm like, there literally are not enough hours. (laughs) Literally. I think I got to like 27 hours. I'm like, hold on, hold on. But going to your question about what is good health, like if I'm not intentional, about putting in, this is how much time that I need to set aside for meal planning, grocery shopping, and meal prep, because those are three very like labor intensive things for me. Because (laughs) like with meal planning, 
you know, I get, I'm into the habit now, thank goodness, of that like I can bypass the Snickers and the Doritos. And so I can buy healthy things. But if I hadn't been intentional about how I'm going to use those ingredients, then I just got a refrigerator full of ingredients. And <laughs> I was not intentional about the meal that those ingredients were going to create. If I'm not intentional about, okay, I need to turn the TV off so that I can get to bed, so that I can wake up early, so that I have time to work out in the morning. Like it's intentional. And I think we take for granted that, you know, we'll wake up and thank God for another day. But did we go to sleep and ask God to guide us in what our day should look like tomorrow? Um, Or when we wake up, Lord, guide me in making sure that I, in everything that I do is in some shape, form or fashion, bringing glory to your name. And I have to be healthy, right? I have to be able to to move around in whatever capacity or capability that I have to bring glory. Um, So it's just, it's just intentional. And I think if we look more like dedicate ourselves to just giving 15 minutes to say, what do I want my day to look like? Lord, what, what can I co-create with you tomorrow? And how should that look? I think that's really leads into um, into good health and all that we do in all the six dimensions. The co-create of it all, Professor White, I think was such wisdom because we can either feel like we're absolutely alone and trying to navigate this journey. We know we're mm-hmm. not, but we forget. So we can mm-hmm. either feel like we're absolutely alone in this journey or we can feel like we are in a place where we have to figure it all out. And because we don't have everything right now to figure it out with, that Mm -hmm. can bring in the anxiety or make us busy beyond our capacity. So Mm -hmm. I think what I have taken away from what you shared, even in your intentionality, is being open to being a co-creator. That means I got to listen. Yes. I got to set aside time for us to meet. Yes. (laughs) I got to do follow-ups. Right? I mean, co-creativity, the Mm -hmm. co in the co-creativity means we have to be cooperating together. We have mm-hmm. to coordinate some things. And so in that intentionality behind good health, I just love that you you mentioned that we have to be able to step to God and say, all right, what, what do I need to be doing with this? How do I need to be using today to bring you glory? So with that, now let me ask you, because you did mention the six dimensions mm-hmm. and career and financial wellness is one of those six dimensions We also have the physical wellness dimension, spiritual wellness, mental and emotional wellness, intellectual wellness, and social wellness. So how do you see these six dimensions interacting with or impacting the career and financial wellness dimension, especially for us as busy and overwhelmed people? Mm. So let's start with the mental, right? Because if that if that dimension of your wellness is not at its capacity then you are not going to have the mental acuity because to be to be a high performer and to you know be high functioning and also love what you do cuz there are a lot of us that are high performers we're high functioning and we do not love what we're doing and so that it's burning us out 
mentally, which turns into this physical burnout. So to have mental acuity that you bring into your workspace, into a workspace that you love to do is so important because you're not going to be able to serve at the highest level that you have the potential to serve at. So there's this book, um, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And one of the agreements is always do your best. But the, con- the the underlying condition about always doing your best is that you are honest with yourself that your best is going to change from day to day. So in honoring that and thinking about these other dimensions of wellness, if we aren't keeping our body physically in tune, then our best is going to change. If we don't have the mental acuity, our best is going to change. If we aren't socially healthy, our best is going to change. Now, imagine if all other five of those dimensions have been compromised, then your best, it doesn't even become your best anymore. It might be the best that you can do at that place, but that's not your real best. And so I think they all play this um, role and certainly they all um, relate to each other in other in other capacities. But when it comes to career and financial wellness, because that is, you know, a really strong foundation for the, the quality of life that we experience, not that money is everything. We know that we know money doesn't doesn't buy love or happiness, but money does impact our quality of life sometimes um, in in significant ways. So if we can make sure that we're being intentional about having good health in all six dimensions or all other five dimensions, then in career and financial wellness, there's one less thing that we have to worry about, but it's also how we can serve better, like how we can have greater. So what then makes us qualified to have this this quality of life or qualified to experience wealth within our personal lives and with the lives of our family, those that we love? What makes us even qualified to have that? Honestly, like it's a birthright, you know, for for people, people of color, people of the diaspora, it is a literal birthright. So if you've done, you know, your genealogy, depending on where your ancestors are from, there is there is a very low chance that you were not that you do not have some birthright to wealth like someone and your ancestral heritage has had access to wealth that you are owed. Right. So when we look at the U.S. economy, um, going back, not even from the the not even from the slave trade to when slavery started, we can even start at the Industrial Revolution. We can start in the 1800s. So 200 years after the first Africans were brought to America, there was 200 years of economic industry that was being generated and created from the literal blood, sweat, and tears of people of the diaspora, of of Black people, Indigenous people of color, right? So those 200 years, we were were already behind the A-ball as people of color. Then getting into the Industrial Revolution, where we're talking about your Rockefellers, your Morgans, your your, um, your Ford family. So that's when the, the... the racial wealth gap, I think that may have been when it first 
people were starting to look at the economy was around the industrial revolution. That's when we had what's called the first gilded age, where you had people who were not from royal families, but they had this wealth status that elevated them so far above the masses that they established themselves as like royalty. They are entrepreneurial royalty. And so that's when we get into like the dynasties and everything like that. But it's been, it was those families and them having the ability um, and the, the understanding of how to transfer the wealth, because that's something that we didn't get to benefit from was the transference of wealth. And so to your question, what makes us qualified is it's our birthright um, to be able to access wealth. Um, unfortunately, some of us are starting to create wealth. Like we're just getting where we can begin to create wealth as opposed to having access to prior wealth. So you gave me a lot of meat and I want to cut it up with my fork and my knife because first of all, I just felt empowered because you said it was my, my birthright, but I want to come back to kind of really understanding what a birthright is. Mm -hmm. Something that you mentioned, you talked about how there was essentially this 200 year gap where literally the economy is built, being built upon the blood, sweat and tears of, of Africans who were brought over to this side of the world. Right. So is, is, that 200 year deficit, is that why these other families that you mentioned, like the Rockefellers, do they essentially have a 200 year advance on developing wealth within their families? How did they even know what wealth was? Like where did, within that 200 years, what passed us by? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there is, it's not the Institute for Policy Studies. There is another agency that I, I would need to, I would want to make sure that you have the link so that you can, you know, maybe put it in the show notes. But there is research that shows that it will take African-American households 252 years to get to this. If we continue with our spending habits and how we earn income, because wealth and income are different things. They're two different constructs. If um, African-American households continue with the same income generating and spending habits, that it'll take us 252 years to generate the same level of wealth that the average white American household had in 2016. So not even 2021. Not even today. No, not even today. So they, it's not just 200 years. It's 252 years. And then you really are adding on the, the five-year gap from when this the data was taken, 2016. Because right. they hadn't done the data yet for 2019 or 2020. So we are essentially 250 years behind economically unless things change for how we make money and how we spend money. Wow, because it's just the fact that it's not just that 200-year gap, but it's everything added to it. And you know how fast the world is advancing. So I'm sure that even though there's that five-year difference in the study, that it doesn't equate directly to just five more years of the gap. Exactly, exactly. And when you say birthright, because I want to make sure we're clear on understanding the power behind 
that word birthright. If you had to just explain birthright to your daughter, Sparrow, who I love, that's my homie. If you had to explain birthright to someone her age, how would you tell them what a birthright is? Um, I would let Sparrow know that because she is my daughter, because I have been blessed with having the title of being her parent, that she has access to certain things merely because she is my daughter. Um, so it's interesting. Like, I, of course, I say that our wealth is a birthright, but Sparrow also knows that she has to earn her own money. So she has access to the wealth that I intend to create, but she also has a responsibility to create her own wealth. And so to your other question, you know, what, what passed us by? What did we miss in that 200-year period? Um, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge that. And there is a book. It's the African-American Encyclopedia of Business History. And I'm clearly, I'm excited about it. Um, I actually keep it really close by. It's right there. Um, yes. I used it for a part of my research, but it it was published in 1996. So, but it goes from like 1600, from 1619, talking about the entrepreneurial and business endeavors of Black and African-American people. But what happened was especially as we get to like integration, it's when we could finally go get insurance, we could finally go open a bank account at um, non-Black institutions. Then if I were the business banker um, the, and I own the Black-owned bank, now because my children and my family and friends can go to other institutions, then my business started to suffer. And so I wasn't generating as much revenue. I didn't have as many accounts at my bank. And now my kids also have access to college. They have access to higher education. So they became less interested in working in the family business. So Black-owned businesses actually saw a, de a sharp decline in passing along the business or passing the business down. So that gets us back to that transfer of wealth. I didn't have anyone to transfer it to. And then, so Sparrow getting to the birthright question, Sparrow may not have wanted to create wealth. She may have wanted to earn income. She may have wanted to go to get a job to earn income, which is not the same thing as creating wealth. So, so you're saying that Income is something that we go earn from another entity. So that entity is either paying us for our time, paying us for our knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then wealth is something where we are the generators of that within ourselves. We are creating that wealth. Yeah. So you can create wealth from your income, right? So from my, my salary at my full time, I can invest in real estate or I can invest in stocks or I can invest in another business and whatever that that I've invested the money in, that has to make me more money. That is what creates wealth. The income isn't the wealth itself. Light bulb. Okay. Let me, I'm just going to pull my chain for the light bulb because that's, I don't know that that's a concept that we get. It's that's not. not, first of all, that's not table talk for family dinner. I don't know that it, that's even an understanding in many families. Yeah. 
because we often use the words interchangeably. Yes, we do. We do. And as I was, I came across this studies from, there was one author, one researcher, he did two different studies um, that looked at income and wealth and business families and employee families. So non-business families uh, or W-2 employees is, is what we like to say now. And even when they started out making the same amount of income, so the employee family made 50000 and the business family, the business compensated them at $50,000, right? When they started out making the same amount of money, the business family had more wealth because the business family would use their income to buy real estate, to purchase stock, to buy more businesses, to start more businesses. So their wealth... Um, or rather their income was exponentially expounded because of the investments that they made to generate wealth. Because I can transfer wealth. I can't transfer my income. I can't give you my job so that you can inherit my, my salary, but you can inherit my real estate investment portfolio. You can inherit my stock portfolio, those kinds of things. Right now, if I was texting you on the phone, you'd be getting the mind blown emoji as well as the shocked face emoji because it seems so simple. But this is literally new information. Transferring wealth and having our focus or as has been the word of the day intentions be mm -hmm. on how do I take all that I am earning, whether it be income from a job, or even if it's I have a, a business and we're bringing in certain revenue, how do I then take that to bring wealth? And yes. on the other end, what we're usually thinking about, or at least I would say for me, I won't say everybody, but at least in my family, it's been about, okay, I'm making money from this job, this good old state job. I'm making mm -hmm. good money from this good state job with this good insurance to cover my family. Mm -hmm. And I need to buy a life insurance policy so that if I pass away, then I can pay for my own burial. Um, and then I need to buy a health insurance policy so that if anybody is sick in my family, we can be taken care of. But there's never the thought process of what's being transferred. There's never that thought process. I think the the highest that that thought process may go in terms of transferability is, have we saved up for our kids' college? Mm -hmm. And so we feel like in our minds, well, we've transferred something because we paid for your education or we prepared you in a way where you can apply for these scholarships and now you have this education. But I don't, Professor White, this is news. Like, I don't think I've ever had this mindset of using the income to create wealth and wealth is what I'm supposed to be transferring. Exactly. You just blown some minds. I don't know if people listen to this podcast while they're driving and they had to pull over. I don't know if they're going to rewind tomorrow and take some notes. I don't know if they're at the gym and don't fall off that treadmill on that gym now because you're so shocked. Or if they're at home and they're, this is their kind of day to catch up on some things and train themselves. So I definitely want to, as we prepare for part two, y'all don't go away. I definitely want to invite you all to come back for part two because you have heard Professor White talk about dynasties. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to dig into because it's not just about what you're passing down to your children. But as her bio said, your grandchildren's grandchildren. We don't want them to have to worry about money. So make sure you're coming back for part two. And just in case you missed the notes, these are the books that you can look into. The Four Agreements, 
That's book number one. Put that on your reading list, your library list. And then the second book was the African-American Encyclopedia of Business History. So make sure you are checking those out. And Professor White, we are so glad to have you on Good Health for Busy People. And we'll see y'all back for part two. Thank you for listening. Remember to download Self-Care in 5 Minutes, that's your freebie, the Affirmation of the Month, another good health freebie, and the show notes from this episode at drasha.com backslash podcast. When you head there, you get what you missed and you share what you loved. This has been the Good Health for Busy People podcast with Dr. Asha. Thank you.